0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. And away we go, and holding, hoping, hoping the voice holds out. I've been fighting this virus for like three weeks, and I just, I can't seem to shake it. And it's the weather, right? Up and down, cold and hot. You never know how to dress. You wake up, it's 60 degrees, or what is that in, uh metric <laughs> metric uh you know I, i'm i'm still imperial i'm still in the old imperial system uh means nothing to you i know Tim. anyway uh you wake up it's it's chilly by midday it's up in the 80s or up in the 20s 30s celsius don't know how to dress and so you get sick maybe a lot of you are probably suffering the same thing anyway we hope the voice holds out if i start to sound like uh tom waits not a bad thing i like tom but uh, it, it may come to that towards the end of the broadcast. Thanks for joining me. Ah, I, I uh, was reading about this gentleman that uh, that blew the whistle on. The, he was the one that leaked the information about the National Security Agency and uh, Verizon and and uh, uh, you know t- tapping all the uh, the phone call, every phone call. We we all know that, right? They're watching. The TV's watching us. There was an article recently about the dishwasher. Some CIA. Director saying, we're gonna make it so the dishwasher can spy on you. Anyway, this, this guy that blew the whistle on the NSA has moved to Hong Kong and said, I cannot live in a country that would do something like that. And, and I have to admire that, but it's not easy being a whistleblower these days. We used to, we should be valuing these people that are saying, hold on, there's something illegal and something corrupt here, and I'm willing to go to jail if need be to let people know that's going on. It's not easy being a whistleblower. It's a tough road, and many of them pay dearly. And I think many of them are heroes. And I think one such is about to join us. She's a former senior legal counsel with the World Bank. She's pretty high up on the ladder, and she's trying to draw attention She's making these allegations, serious allegations about corruption at the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund and how the World Bank and the global financial system, really, is being dominated by just a small group of corrupt, power-hungry figures centered around the privately owned, wait for it, U.S. Federal Reserve. And, unfortunately, it's very difficult for her to get the word out because... The corporately owned prostitutes, as uh, some call them, and I happen to agree with that moniker, are not giving her a voice. Well, we're going to do that tonight, and I'm very pleased to welcome Senior Legal Counsel Whistleblower Karen Hudez to the program. Karen, how are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, let's uh, give people a, a clear understanding what the World Bank is. I, I know that it, it emerged, you know, out of the uh, the Second World War uh, together with the uh, the International Monetary Fund as part of the the Bretton Woods Agreement. But explain the purpose of the World Bank.
1: Yes, the World Bank is a fund, and the International Monetary Fund is a bank. That's a joke that they make. It's. Uh, a co-op of 188 countries. It was 44 countries who negotiated the Bretton Woods treaties. And what the World Bank is actually is it's a tool which has been hijacked. So it's gotten a very bad name for itself, but uh, I can assure the listeners that it's um, it's like a car, um, which if the owner of the car starts driving it recklessly. Um, you, you can say, well, it's a terrible car. But if somebody else starts to drive it a little more responsibly, it's not a bad car. And so I can tell you, I know the um, underlying fundamentals of the Bretton Woods treaties. And they are a fabulous tool that's there for the 188 countries. It's part of what you call, as a lawyer, the global commons. It belongs to the whole world. It's an institution which was created at the end of World War II, Uh, actually its most important function, and it's the one that we need it for badly at this point, to prevent future war.
0: And if I understand correctly, uh, Karen, the, the idea was, you know, during the uh, – after the Second World War, rather, and you had, uh, uh, you know, President Truman's Marshall Plan in an attempt to to rebuild Europe, which was laying in ruin, economic ruin, so the, the World Bank and the IMF – uh, were, were, uh, were designed to bring about some economic stability to the region. And, and since then, these organizations ostensibly are used to, to help, uh, rebuild economies, uh, especially in the developing world. The IMF, of course, we hear in conjunction with, with projects, uh, around the world and so forth. But that's what they were intended to do, correct?
1: Yes, but there are hidden agendas and there are wheels within wheels. And so there are a lot of people, um, who say that it's a debt trap to encumber unwary countries and give the, um, wealthy countries a, a tool to, uh, blackmail them with. Um, but if you, if you use the financing for good projects that earn a lot of money for the countries, it's not a debt trap. So it it all depends on how how this resource, this global resource, is used. And the, to me, as a lawyer, I can tell you what I think the most important feature of these instruments are. They're instruments, um, and that is law. And as a lawyer, um, I was very interested in development. I studied development economics, and if if you're interested in development, that's a good place to go. And the man who was there when the treaties were negotiated and was the longest serving general counsel was a Dutch lawyer by the name of Aaron Brockes. And Aaron Brockes gave me the operation manual. A, A lot of people think the presidency of the World Bank is the most important office, but it's actually the legal function, because that function serves as a hinge between the board. The World Bank is not like the UN where every country gets one vote. Countries' votes are weighted in accordance with their shareholding, and they're only allowed to have shareholding um, roughly proportional to their economies. So the biggest, most powerful country in the World Bank is the US, but that's only 16%. And the seven biggest economies each get their own executive director, and the rest of the countries get grouped in what they call constituencies. So you've got 25 executive directors who have a residential function to run the bank. But what happened at the very beginning was the um, United States president of the World Bank said, I don't want the board meddling in management of this institution. I want to have a convention where the board only serves as a rubber stamp and votes up or down what the president proposes. And when I saw what was going on with the corruption, I went to the board and I said, this is not part of the articles. And when you've got a corrupt president, which is what we unfortunately had, what I saw, I said, you as a board are required to take back the function in the Articles of Agreement. You have got to start initiating actions. And the day after I said that, I was locked out of the World Bank. I was no longer allowed in the door.
0: All right. We should uh, explain also. Uh, uh, Karen Hudes joins us, a um, a former uh, member of the World Bank's legal department. Explain uh, your role in the legal department at the World Bank?
1: Well, I think the best way to explain it is to use the word nag. (laughs) But but, no, um, all joking aside, after I got fired and before I got fired, um, there was a network of whistleblowers who knew what the World Bank was supposed to do, what the rules were, and who were getting punished for trying to get the World Bank on track. And we have stayed in touch, and we have helped each other through thick and thin. There's one of us from the UK, one of us from Ethiopia, one of us from Mexico. Um, It's just a a group of, I guess you could say, um, self-appointed righteous people, or whatever you want to call us. We're whistleblowers. And we understand what the World Bank needs to be at this time for the world to keep the world out of a terrible crisis. And we're very active. And after I got fired um, and was trying to figure out what on earth was going on, um, I stumbled across – I didn't actually stumble across. The U.K. whistleblower said, Karen, you better check out some of these SEC whistleblowers. They seem to be on to something. And I ran across um, a whistleblower named Mark Nowitzki. Uh, and the two of us have been sort of working in tandem to try to help each other figure out who's doing what to whom and what needs to happen. So at this point, um, the World Bank is uh, its an organization which has a very active bunch of whistleblowers, and some of these whistleblowers are very well connected to their governments.
0: Now, yes. the, the the directors uh, of the World Bank from the various member countries. I'm guessing, for example, in the United States, many of those uh, uh, directors would come from places like Chase, uh, the Chase Manhattan Bank, or City or Citigroup or uh, Goldman Sachs. Is that correct?
1: Well, um, they are all very much subservient to those interests and. I can tell you that that's been a huge problem. They have not represented the citizens of the United States. They have abused their authority, they, and they have they have been in contempt, in contempt of Congress because Congress, at a certain point, saw how the World Bank was getting hijacked and was corrupt. And um, you know, first you know, before I was fired, Senator Luger wrote three letters saying, don't fire this lady. Well, they promptly fired me. And then three senators asked for a government accountability audit, government accountability office audit. Senators Luger, Leahy and By. That was in 2008. The World Bank refused. That's contempt of Congress. And now what Congress has said when the World Bank came to Congress and asked for a capital increase, Congress said, now that you haven't Complied with our GAO inquiry into corruption, we are not going to disperse a penny of that appropriation until whistleblowers are made whole. So the um, U.S. capital increase is not going through. You, and you have a, a, a stalemate. You have a stalemate. And I can tell you that the problems between Congress and the World Bank are a microcosm of this terrible corruption on the capital markets because the World Bank offers bonds on the capital markets. So it has to comply with the securities laws. And I went to all of the states. I went to the governors and the um, attorneys general and after the US court system showed itself to be corrupt, which they did on my case. The same judges who heard the Guantanamo Bay were given a panel They gave an illegal opinion. They were required to consider the case de novo. And instead, they gave an unpublished opinion, which said, we like what the lower court said. Well, that's irrelevant, because they have to write a reasoned opinion as if the lower court hadn't decided the case. So what they wrote was, it it wasn't proper. And the clerk ignored my statement to him that the 188 ministers of finance and I had agreed to settle the case. So the opinion of that panel was irrelevant. And the court, the clerk refused that. So I went to the chief justice of the Supreme Court and the rest of the judicial conference. And I said, you seem to have a problem in your court of appeal for the DC circuit. That clerk doesn't understand when a case has been settled. So you've got corruption at the highest level of the US courts.
0: Back with more of my conversation with World Bank whistleblower Karen Hudez when we return. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett. So, Karen, I want to just touch briefly on um, your uh, arrest, being charged uh, by the uh, Department of Justice. Uh, what, What did that entail? What happened there?
1: It's totally illegal. I was given a badge to enter the spring meetings on April 19th, 20th, and 21st. The chairman of the development committee gave me a badge so that I could enter the meetings, and I did on the 19th, and then when I went back on the 20th, I was prevented from going in with a valid badge. I said, who thinks they have more authority than the countries that own the World Bank? Who's keeping me out? Well, it was the Secret Service that was keeping me out. I said, no, you, you know, on what grounds are you preventing me from going into a meeting where I have a valid security badge? So I went, I stayed on the outside and I spoke with various delegations to tell them about the problem that I was having. And then what I did the next day was I wrote a letter to the um, director of the Secret Service, but first I cleared it with all the countries saying there's no ground to lock her out. She's admitted. And then I showed up, and what they did was they took a piece of paper, they had an underling at the World Bank sign it, saying that I was not allowed in. I said, this underling has no authority to overrule 188 ministers of finance. This piece of paper is worthless. And then, when I was, um, the next week, I sent a number of emails to a number of people, including the commissioner of the D.C. police. And I said, if you have any doubt whether I'm allowed to go back in, You had better check with the chairman of the Development Committee, who represents 188 ministers of finance. That person who signed this piece of paper cannot overrule that man. The thing that's really interesting is that there's a group called Allied Barton. They provide the security personnel. Allied Barton is controlled by this group of international bankers. Just
0: to summarize, first you were fired by the World Bank. Because you were basically embarrassing them with these corruption charges. And it's then, not
1: exactly that I was fired. I wasn't fired. I was illegally locked out of the building. There
0: ah, but I mean, was I mean, no I mean, authority to fire me. I'm sorry. I meant
1: was, prior to that. I was, I was that. never fired.
0: I meant prior to that, and then that's when the 188 member uh, finance ministers wanted you reinstated. Correct. Okay.
1: They reinstated me. It's not that they wanted me reinstated; I was reinstated.
0: You were reinstated. Okay. So, I
1: was reinstated. Yes.
0: So then you attempt to to uh, uh, gain entry into the uh, the spring meeting, and you're told you're persona non grata. So when basically you're charged with trespassing, is that correct?
1: Yes and no, because the person who would hear a trespassing charge is the District of Columbia, because it's not a federal offense.
0: No, I did. No, of course, not. right.
1: But the person who's going to be prosecuting me is the feds. So what am I charged with by the feds? That's not a federal offense. I don't know. I, I wrote to Eric Holder because I have been going back to the FBI since, you know, there have been all kinds of illegal things that happened. One of the illegal things was I had a brief due in the court and, and somebody hacked my computer and erased it six hours before the the filing deadline. And they erased every single copy in my computer, except they put a few in there with no sites, and it takes hours to get the sites up. Luckily, I had sent two weeks earlier in the clouds an earlier draft that had a lot of the sites. I stayed up all night and I filed this in time. But then I went to the FBI and I said, it's illegal to hack a lawyer's computer in advance of a filing deadline. I want you to find out who did this. They never did. And there have been all kinds of other irregularities. And I went, finally, I went to the National Center for White Collar Crime, and I said, you know, the FBI seems to be having a problem here. They don't know what their job is. Could you, could you please give them a hand? Because, I mean, emails were not getting through. There was all kinds of hacking. I have a website. That website wasn't functioning. I mean, I have documented all of the, um, the cyber crimes. There have been a lot of cyber crimes. And nothing ever – so I went, I went to Eric Holder and I said, you know, we seem to have this problem here. Um, you haven't ever done anything about the complaints that I've given you about the cyber crimes. And now I'm being charged on breaking um, a barring notice that was never validly issued because the person who signed it could not commit the World Bank had no authority to overrule 188 ministers of finance. What on earth do you think you're doing?
0: So you're being prosecuted by Eric Holder's Department of Justice, charged with unlawful entry, which is not a federal offense. Are you going to represent yourself?
1: <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you, know, you know the statement, a lawyer who represents themselves has a, a fool for a client. I've asked a couple of groups. Um, I haven't heard back from them. By default, I may have to. Um, We'll see what happens. What I really want, though, is I really want these charges dropped. And so I have been in touch with a lot of people. Um, I understand from uh, one of the the people I'm in touch with in Canada – that the um, chief of staff for your prime minister has resigned, as well as two senators. I haven't had a chance to find out what that is.
0: Well, these are these are uh, uh, there are three conservative senators that uh, were investigated uh, for um, uh, essentially uh, expenses, expense accounts, abusing expense accounts, and uh, one senator, high-profile senator, a media uh, a star here in Canada, uh, Mike Duffy. Um, had rung up about 90,000 in expenses, travel expenses, that were rejected. And he was supposed to pay those back. He couldn't, and so the prime minister's uh aide... Essentially, wrote him a personal check for ninety thousand, which of course breaks all sorts of ethical uh, rules and so forth. So uh, the PMO aide resigned. The uh, two of the three senators in question have uh, have uh, resigned from caucus, although they haven't been they haven't resigned from the Senate, which is very difficult to do. It's very very difficult to get someone out of the Senate. Anyway, I just uh, Karen Hudez is with us uh, from uh, the World Bank whistleblower, and uh, I want to uh, get back to. the the corruption charges. I've spoken with uh, John Perkins on a number of uh, occasions, the author of uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Are you familiar with with John?
1: Yeah, I've read his book. I don't know him personally, but I I admire his book.
0: Yes. Now, he speaks to a lot of the things I think you're alluding to, uh, how the World Bank uh, and the IMF essentially ensnare uh, these countries, especially in the developing world where they are forced to borrow billions and billions of dollars to keep their economy afloat and then in order to pay it back, the IMF or the World Bank imposed these incredible austerity measures. Of course, we're seeing this playing out right now in Greece. And so what happens is the the these countries, they're essentially looted. Uh, I, I know in a number of cases in South America where countries have been forced to sell off their public water utilities. They've been privatized. I think the corporation Nestle's now owns the water supply in some of these countries. Uh, in Greece, of course, we've seen mass looting of industries over there. Uh, is, is that the sort of thing that you're talking about here?
1: Um, that, I've, I'm familiar with the theories about debt trap, debt entrapment. And let's say that that's a very broad brush. And I'm sure that you would agree if there's a very good project which is going to have a re- rate of return that surpasses the financing, that's a good thing to invest in. So you can't say that the World Bank is entirely a debt trap. Um, If you have a country where the leadership is very um, astute and they only sign on to really good projects, then the World Bank is a good place. But unfortunately we don't have that leadership all in every country. So it's a mixture, it's a mixed bag. And the same thing about who works at the World Bank. What you have is you have um, a group of absolutely phenomenal civil servants and who have been fired for trying to do their jobs. I'll give you an example of one of them. Um, he was uh, fired for trying to prevent a cost overrun on the headquarters rebuilding. And he's now, he doesn't call himself a whistleblower. He's now working, uh, he was Australian, he's now working on projects for China. But you have consummate professionals who see their job as trying to put really good projects in developing countries. And. After we were fired for trying to straighten out the World Bank, and I'll tell you what the corruption is at the World Bank. The corruption is the abuse of authority by a group that's not even in the World Bank, but is using the World Bank by corrupting its officials and hijacking the World Bank. The World Bank is a tool that can save the world from war. There's a currency war that will happen if we do not take back the World Bank for the people of the world. Some would, say that, currency, that,
0: some would say that currency war is now underway. Of course, the Japanese are uh, you know, devaluating their currency even at a greater rate than the United States is. The U.S. is pouring $85 billion a month into this black hole. Japan, somewhere on the order of $100 billion a month. We're seeing currencies being debased basically all around the world. Some might suggest we're in the midst of a currency war right now. That's exactly
1: right. And the chance that it deteriorates and becomes something which is irreversible, we're right on the edge. And the way to stay out of it, by the way, I think we will stay out of it. There's a very accurate stakeholder analysis. It uses game theory modeling and it's, it predicted when I started testifying in front of the UK Parliament, it said all the people of the world are going to find out what's what and they're going to all help you Get rule of law and prevent a currency war. And that's part of this radio broadcast. That's how you heard about me. And I want your listeners to link up with all the other people that are understanding now that we are not inevitably sinking into a currency war. Au contraire, we are now all working for rule of law. We're going to get a kind of a situation that never happens, but we need desperately. And that is where the whistleblowers win and win big time. And by the way, the U.S. Congress, when they approved the World Bank capital increase, they put a provision in there that said, we are appropriating the money, but we will not disperse it until the whistleblowers are made whole. And they put that in there for me and the other whistleblowers who need to have rule of law to prevent a currency war. I showed the U.S. Congress this very accurate stakeholder analysis. I showed this analysis to Secretary Hagel. The Defense Department got in touch with me when I complained to the um, Inspector General in the Defense Department. I said, if we don't start playing by the rules, the world is sinking into a currency war. You know this analysis.
0: Let me just jump in here, Karen. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back and continue our conversation. Karen Hudes is a whistleblower with the World Bank, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up? must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Karen Hudez from the World Bank, former uh, member of the legal department there, who has been charged with unlawful entry, keeping in mind that's not a federal crime, but she's being prosecuted by the U.S. Justice Department. Uh, so go figure. Uh, why were these charges brought? Most likely because Karen has accused the World Bank of corruption. And uh, now she's paying perhaps the ultimate price. Now, let me go back to the currency wars for a moment, because this is important. You know, Throughout history, we see currency wars leading to trading wars, ultimately leading to world wars. This is the road we might be heading down. This is what is at stake here. So could you explain sort of the mechanics of of how the World Bank, uh, w- what the World Bank has to do with a currency war? How are the two connected? Yes.
1: All right. The the main reason the World Bank was created was to prevent war. That's how it's, that's its uh, most um pressing mandate and so, so getting back to that business about the person from the defense department contacting me, um, the defense department used a very powerful analytic tool, a stakeholder analysis using game theory modeling and this same stakeholder analysis um, was done on a macro scale to model the transition of power from the east to the west. And it said that if we used rule of law, there would be a period of transition that would be smooth. We would avoid a world war. And that is exactly where we are right now. And what I said to the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court when the D.C. Court of Appeals refused to recognize a decision by the ministers of finance at the World Bank to settle my lawsuit. I bought a World Bank bond, so the World Bank was not immune in court, and I went into court, and here's where the corruption comes up. Whenever anybody sees money going the wrong way at the World Bank and reports it, they get fired. Now, this is real money at the World Bank, so money is going every which way, and two of the World Bank whistleblowers that I'm working with reported that there were funds that were going misspent or double-booking so the auditing and accounting function is broken. So what you have is you have Enron at the World Bank. And as a securities lawyer, I know, and as a bondholder, I know that when officials, legal officials, accounting officials inside a bank are fired for reporting that the money is not being properly accounted, this is corruption. This is corruption big time. And so I reported this to the SEC, and the SEC took a pass on this. I reported this to something called the National Advisory Council on International Monetary and Financial Policies, the NAC. The, that's chaired by the Secretary of the Treasury. It's got the the chairman of the Fed on it. It's got the chairman of the SEC on it. It's got the chairman of all of the other um, Economic entities, the Exim Bank, the um, Trade Representative, Commerce Department. Anyway, I told the NAC that there was improper accounting. I sued KPMG at the same time. I went to the UK Serious Fraud Office, and the UK Serious Fraud Office called the SEC in October uh, 2010, and the SEC stonewalled the Serious Fraud Office. Now that is corruption big time, big time, big time. So when the UK Parliament asked how the DFID was doing in overseeing UK's uh, funding of development, you better believe I had something to say. So did the UK whistleblower have something to say. Uh, And then I went back to Parliament a second time, and then just recently, One of the committees in UK Parliament said, how are we doing on handling complaints? And I went back to them, I said, you're doing a lousy job. I've been complaining to you guys for years and you're sitting on your hands and there's world corruption that's gonna land the world in a currency war and we're about to enter something called gold backwardation, which is when people no longer trust paper money and they will not sell gold at any price. And when you enter that, It's meltdown. Meltdown so that you have a world depression that makes what happened in the 30s look like Nothing happened. I,
0: uh, I I want to talk to you about gold and, and what appears to be I'm a bit of a gold bug, and I, 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 I want to talk to you about manipulation in the gold market because anyone who's been following that you know who, who suddenly at two o'clock in the morning looking at the, uh, the the price sees some algorithm kick in and gold and silver gets smashed. Uh, obviously, uh, I mean to, to my eyes and the people that I follow, uh, you know the, the Jim Embrys uh, uh, and other gold bugs. This is a clear sign of manipulation. Because uh, you know buying into gold is a, vo- a vote against the fiat currency, which is exactly what the, the Fed and the central planners don't want us to do. But le- let me uh, let me take a time out. We'll come back and and I'll get your take on the uh, the manipulation of gold uh, and whether there is any gold at Fort Knox. And uh, we'll do that on the other side. Karen Hudes, whistleblower from the World Bank, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back, Karen Hudes. Stays with us for a few moments yet as we continue to discuss corruption at the World Bank. These are the uh, the charges she's making as a whistleblower, and uh, she has been arraigned for a hearing uh, in about a week's time on uh, unlawful entry uh, charges. Again, this is uh, not a federal offense, but she's being prosecuted by the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, this seems to be in retaliation uh, for her whistleblowing efforts. It's a it's a very difficult time to be a whistleblower, uh, certainly in the United. States, uh, so let me uh, let me go back to gold here for a moment, uh, uh, Karen, and and I don't know if there's a connection here. I think there is. Uh, I mean, I, I alluded to, earlier to uh, you know Goldman Sachs, and and perhaps they might be pulling some strings at the World Bank, uh, and and they're the ones that uh, you know uh, were advising their their uh, their clients sell gold sell gold we're uh, reevaluating our forecast we're, we're saying it's going down to 1050 or eleven fifty based on absolutely no data this caused you know this naked uh, short uh, run on, on gold and the, and the price crashed in mid April uh, meanwhile these uh, these bullion banks and, and Goldman Sachs are buying gold with two fists at these big uh, bargain basement prices there's clearly I think some manipulation going on in the gold market we had the case of the German uh, central bank asking for its gold back. It was stored in the United States, uh, I guess, just after the Second World War. The, the, uh, the United States says, well, we can give you some of it, but it's going to take seven years to repatriate your gold, which is very odd. We have rumors that uh, the, the gold reserves uh, uh, supposedly held at Fort Knox are not there. And this is the reason the United States cannot repatriate Germany's gold. What's your take on, on, uh, on the situation with gold?
1: Yes. Absolutely everything you're saying, um, I've got a lot to say on that. I want to say two sentences before I say that because I don't want people to be alarmed. And so everything that I'm telling your listeners, I told to the U.S. governors. I told it to the U.S. attorneys general. I told it to the chief justices of the state Supreme Courts. And so... um, We're not headed to a situation of panic, just the opposite. We're headed to a situation of cleanup. And so what you're seeing here with all of this manipulation is you're seeing the people who have been grabbing power illegally are trying to get every single chit off the table before their time is up. That's all you see. You don't see the fundamental governance structure is intact. We don't have to worry about um, hoarding gold and we don't have to worry unless, God forbid, we don't have this rule of law that I'm talking to you about today. But I think we do, because I have been in touch with all these countries. I've been writing them for years. Now, let's go back to gold in Germany. Yes. Germany, before they repatriated gold, they said, we'd like to see our gold. They were told they couldn't see it. And then the... Office of the Inspector General in the Treasury Department sent them a fake audit, a paper audit, which was not satisfactory to the Germans. It was just the opposite, because don't forget, when I was asking for the NAC to resolve this rule of law problem, And when the serious fraud office was asking for the SEC to resolve this rule of law problem, the financial statements of the World Bank, it's like a Bernie Madoff situation. If you don't have an accurate audit, if you have a a government accountability audit being stonewalled by the World Bank, and then you have KPMG keeping, preventing their audit team from finding out about these problems, you have got... What, just bells going off. And if you've got bells going off and the Treasury Department is not intervening, then the Treasury Department has no credibility. The Office of the Inspector General, who gives a paper audit to Germany, is not credible. Not credible at all. So Germany, getting this piece of paper from the Office of the Inspector General, said, oh, no, I, sorry, I want, I want my real gold back because you're giving me paper and you're not letting my people see my gold. Okay, so that's that's what is now setting everybody off with all of these bells. And then when you have this differential, this price differential between money, uh, gold that you have in your hand and paper gold being sold with a naked short, this is so anybody who had gold at a bullion bank went there and physically repossessed their gold. This is days away from permanent backwardation when you will not be able to finance trade. You cannot have this. And so I, knowing that we need to have absolute rule of law now, not, you know, I said to the governors of the, um, of the states, I said, we cannot be kicking this can down the road anymore. We have got to show that this is a law-abiding country. I said the same thing to Secretary Hagel. I said, and that is why I am going back inside the World Bank. It was not because I wanted to be cute. It was because I was looking at the markets and the timing and that we didn't want to be on the edge any closer than we were. So when I was let off in handcuffs, this was just what we didn't need. This was just what we didn't need.
0: Well, let me ask you, though, is, are Germany's concerns warranted? Is the gold there, or has it been lent out uh, uh, as, as part of this manipulation?
1: I seriously doubt whether there is any gold left, but I can tell you what happened for me in the middle of all of this. I, I get all kinds of weird offers. For example, I got somebody offering to write to help me write things, and that person wrote in there that if I ended up in jail, I was going to be killed. That is a death threat. Oh, my. Okay? That's what, that's what goes on. Okay, so I was looking on my Facebook page, and all of a sudden there was an article there that there was a convoy of trucks leaving Fort Knox with gold. And it was going to take a week for them to get all of the gold moved out of Fort Knox. So I looked at that thing. I said, gee, that is kind of, you know, weird. And I didn't do anything. And the next day, all of a sudden, that was posted on somebody's internet site. But as I told you, we whistleblowers are pretty savvy and we don't just take things at face value. And one of the whistleblowers said to me, you know that site that has this thing about the gold leaving Fort Knox, that's not a trusted site. So what I did was I went back to my Facebook page to um, to download this, and it had disappeared from my Facebook page again. So I went to all the governors. I went to the governor of Texas, and I said, I am getting disinformation about Golden Fort Knox. They obviously want me to tell you that this is happening when it's not a trusted news source. So what happened was me and the whistleblowers managed to show that somebody is trying to discredit me. On this very subject,
0: they were using your Facebook page as the, your Facebook page as presumably the source for this for this story, but again, I guess the question is, okay, so maybe in that instance it 's not true. The, the trucks were not moving gold out of Fort Knox. But How would I know? Exactly. I don't know. Exactly.
1: But, but isn't it kind of strange that the people in the United States don't know whether we have gold or whether the Fort Knox is empty? Isn't that a strange past to be in?
0: Uh, it's, it's very strange, although given the times, uh, I, I don't know what to, what to call strange and what is uh, – <laughs> what's just the new normal. Uh, Karen Hudes is with us, a whistleblower with the uh, the World Bank. Uh, just stay, staying with gold for a few moments yet. Um, If the gold has been moved out of uh, uh, Fort Knox, I mean, what what does that mean? What, What is the significance of that? When people say there is no gold in Fort Knox, people might be scratching their heads saying, okay, so? We're
1: talking now about fiat money, money that has no gold backing. And we're talking about the continuing use of the dollar for financing international trade. These are very important subjects. And I don't have any answers, but I do have um, advice. One piece of advice is that the United States has got to be credible. We are not credible. We have lost our credibility. And there's nothing that's going to make people run away from dollars faster than allowing the kinds of cover-ups that I'm telling you about to continue. We have got to be a country that inspires confidence not viewed as a country that's a confidence man. And that's how we are viewed now. And and the part that concerns me the most, that concerns me the most, is that I've been working this problem now since I was thrown illegally out of the World Bank. You know, I don't want to bore your listeners. Just take it from me. There was no grounds to fire me. It was totally illegal. What, what happened to me? And I stayed with the problem because I knew about the stakeholder analysis and that the World Bank legal department is at the very hub of legality in the international financial system. And when you have a corrupt legal regime inside the World Bank, which is what we had, that it has got to be cleaned out. So I I couldn't walk away from the problem. It's not like I'm a troublemaker. I like to, you know, I like, I, you know, my husband says, look, Karen, I mean, get real. You've been working this problem now since 2007. You're not getting anywhere. You're not getting any younger. You know, throw in the towel. And I said, Barry, when I throw in the towel, that is when we have a currency war. I will not throw in the towel. I will be dragged kicking and screaming off the stage, I will not throw in the towel. So that's what's going on now. And what concerns me the most is in the process of staying with this problem, I uncovered something which made me very, very concerned. And what I uncovered is the fact that there is systematic disinformation given to the American public on a massive scale, and they are prevented, prevented from learning what they need to know. Well, I would that agree. means that democracy is very,
0: very vulnerable. I, I, I look at the data that's being released, uh, and I don't think you can even trust that. Uh, for example, uh, the unemployment figures coming out of the United States. The media quotes the E3 figure, which is somewhere around 75 7.6% unemployment. But that's irrelevant uh, compared to the E6 uh, data, which includes the underemployed, those people that used to be engineers that are now working two, three part-time jobs, the underemployed. Those people that have absolutely given up looking for work. When you calculate, when you look at the E6, which is never released by the mainstream media, the E6 shows the unemployment rate in the United States up near 20%. And then you look at inflation. Of course, uh, you know, you had the CPI, uh, which has been sort of manipulated over the years. I don't even know if it's a, a real uh, indicator of what the inflation rate is. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that believes that we're, you know, at 1% or 2% inflation. Anyone who fills up at the gas tank or goes to the grocery store these days or pays college tuition knows for sure inflation is not at 2%. We can't even believe what the government is telling us in terms of the economic data. Would you agree?
1: Yes, and I'll raise you one. I have been to the very heart of the accounting profession. I have been to the very heart of the legal profession. I have been to the ethics of the accounting profession and the ethics of the legal profession. And I can tell you there is no there there. So we had better intervene all of us and we had better oversee the legal profession and we had better oversee the accounting profession we can't leave it to them anymore to self-police because they do not get the job done
0: karen are you uh, are you at all f- fearful Uh, of of what might happen to you. I know you've been arraigned and you're going to be, uh, the hearing is in a a little over a week's time before the U.S. Justice Department on these unlawful entry charges. I mean, are you concerned that they may trump up some other charge and just try and bury you?
1: What I'm saying is, I'm saying to your listeners, you had better get my back because I'm not there for me. I'm there for your kids.
0: What can we do? How can we help?
1: (laughs) You better mobilize the world. And you better keep me out of jail.
0: Well, Godspeed then. And uh, let's all gather together and let's help keep Karen Hudes out of jail. Let me uh, alert you to Karen's uh, or, uh, website. It's ka Hudez, H-U-D-E-S. So that's K-A-H-U-D-E-S dot net. There you can learn all about Karen Hudes, what she's trying to do, and the corruption at the World Bank and there's contact information for her there as well. And show your support. Uh, Better yet, email your congressman, your senator, and let them know. You know what's going on. We really need to honor whistleblowers. And I think Karen Hudes joins a long list of tremendous whistleblowers. These are people that are alerting the public at great personal risk to the corruption that's going on. You could start with people like Peter Buxton, With the United States Public Health Service, 1966, you may not be familiar with Peter Buxton. This is a guy that exposed the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. The United States Public Health Service, which later became the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, they took this population of African American men who had syphilis, and some of them they told them they were treating them for the syphilis, and they never did. They lied to them. And this went on. People say, oh, that was back in the 40s. That couldn't happen today. That went on for 30, more than 30 years, up into the 1970s. This heinous experiment was going on. And, of course, the great Daniel Ellsberg, who, along with Anthony Russo, leaked the Pentagon Papers, which revealed endemic practices of deception by previous administrations and contributed to the eventual erosion of public support for the war in Vietnam. Daniel Ellsberg, another great whistleblower, up until 2005, he was known simply as Deep Throat. And later, we found out, shortly before he died, W. Mark Felt was the gentleman who leaked information about United States President Richard Nixon's involvement in Watergate. Of course, the scandal would eventually lead to the resignation of the president. Jeffrey Wygand, Do you remember Jeffrey Wygand, who worked for Williams & Brown Tobacco Company? And then, of course, in a, uh, a famous 60 Minutes interview in 1996... He said the company intentionally manipulated the level of nicotine in cigarette smoke to addict smokers. He claimed he was subsequently harassed and received anonymous death threats. Do you remember the, uh, the 1999 film The Insider with Russell Crowe? That was the Jeffrey Wigand story. Brown Williamson was a tobacco company. One of my favorite whistleblowers, unfortunately, he was suicided, if you know what I mean. Gary Webb. This was back in the uh, 1980s. He's exposed what he called the Dark Alliance, a 20,000-word three-part investigation series alleging the Nicaraguan drug traffickers had sold and distributed crack cocaine in Los Angeles. During the 1980s, he implicated the CIA, saying they directly aided drug dealers to raise money for the Contras by selling crack in the inner cities of the United States. And then in 2004, Gary Webb was found dead from Two gunshot wounds to the head. Think about that. You commit suicide, two gunshot wounds to the head. That's what they call being suicided. A tip of the hat to Gary Webb. Karen Hudes, another great whistleblower. Let's honor them. It's something to aspire to be, a whistleblower. If you find corruption, expose it. If you find an injustice, try to stop it. If someone shows you the path to truth, follow it.